staying in your own head about thought-provoking topics? Read along with a stress-free book club that fits into a busy lifestyle. From out of the pages to real life, explore the fine line between fiction and nonfiction as we pull from bestsellers that will change your life. Tune in to our bi-weekly book club of mind-bending and empowering stories hosted by Nova Lorraine, founder of Rain Magazine, and her two co-hosts, Toby Santagato and Barbara Donato. Welcome to another episode of Tuesday's Book Hub. I am your host, Nova Lorraine, and I'm here with my two lovely co-hosts, Barbara Donato and Toby Santagato. Hey, ladies. Hi. Hello. Well, we're excited to bring to you another show filled with transformational stories. These books that we cover, if you're joining us for the first time, are typically thought-provocative fiction and mind-blowing nonfiction, and oftentimes controversial. And But we are here to bring you books that are not only bestsellers, books that we feel will change your life. Today's book that we're going to cover is Sacred Hoops by Phil Jackson. And For those of you, again, that's joining us for the first time, take out your smartphone or your notepad. We're going to jot down the next two books that we're covering, so you can go ahead and prepare for those. It's Seven Husbands by Evelyn Hugo and Think and Grow Rich, one of my favorite books, by Napoleon Hill. So go ahead and jot those down, Seven Husbands by Evelyn Hugo and Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Those will be the next two books that we're covering, but today we are covering an incredible incredible story told by Phil Jackson during his time with the Bulls. Let's start with the summary from the publisher. Not only is there more to life than basketball, there's a lot more to basketball than basketball, a quote by Phil Jackson. One of the most successful coaches in NBA history, Chicago Bulls head coach Phil Jackson provides an inside look at the higher wisdom of teamwork with sacred hoops. Jackson's philosophy of mindful basketball and his lifelong quest to bring enlightenment to the competitive world of professional sports. A new paradigm of leadership based on Eastern and Native American principles, Jackson's approach flies in the face of egoistic, winner-take-all attitude that has changed the face of American sports. Rather than winning through intimidation, Jackson, who describes himself as a Zen Christian, stresses awareness, compassion, and most of all, selfless team play. Filled with stories about Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Tony Kukuk, and other members of the Bulls, Sacred Hoop reveals how Jackson directs his players to act with a clear mind, to respect the enemy, and be aggressive without anger or violence, to live in the moment and stay calmly focused in the midst of chaos, so that the me becomes the servant of the we. In Sacred Hoops, Jackson takes us inside the mind of the thinking man's coach as he builds one of the greatest teams of all time, not just for sports fans. This inspiring memoir is for anyone interested in the potential of the human spirit. So I think the publisher nailed it with this summary. I would love to hear what you guys think. What are your thoughts about Sacred Hoops? I mean, I loved it. It was a great book. It's hands down one of my favorite books. I used to play basketball in high school. So And my brothers pretty much all play basketball. 
Uh, this book came out in 95 when I graduated and I was such a basketball fiend and I was actually a Jordan fiend <laughs> uh, followed by the Chicago Bulls. And I just, I used to watch Phil Jackson sit on the sidelines. This man did nothing. Like they, the team was animated, the crowd was animated, and he would just sit very calmly, very peacefully, and just with these eagle eyes, watch his team say about three things during a timeout, if he said anything. I just, I couldn't get over how calm he was. So when this book came out and it talked about the spiritual lessons of a hardwood warrior, I was like, I have to read the method to what I thought was madness. I'm from the Knicks. I'm a New Yorker. I'm a Knickerbocker. Pat Riley was always up against the, the Bulls and he was standing around yelling and screaming. And Phil Jackson, cool as a cucumber, never could understand it. After reading this book, I understood and I, I fell in love with this man and his coaching style. That's really interesting that I didn't know that about the basketball, your basketball history, and when you first read the book. So I love that connection. And I can absolutely see why the book called to you. I didn't even know about the book until you recommended it, Barbara. And I remember thinking, hmm, basketball, coaching, okay, I'll read it. <laughs> and when I finished, I could not pick up the phone fast enough to tell as many people as I could reach about how awesome this book is and that they have to read it. And it's a quick read. It's an easy read, but it's so inspirational, even if you have nothing to do with basketball. And my relationship with basketball is I was a college cheerleader for the University of Connecticut, UConn Huskies. Woo! Go Huskies! And I was there at the rise of that program, both on the men and women's side. So it was an incredible time in the history of basketball for UConn. And the coaching style for... <laughs> Coach Calhoun, very different from Phil Jackson. And just to hear his journey, not only as a coach, but, you know, from his younger years in school, throughout high school, throughout college. And there's so many stories that he shares that we all can relate to and how that part of his life really led him to this way of coaching. And it wasn't how he was his whole life. And he had some hardships and tragedy that also shaped his view of life and his trajectory in terms of his career. And all of that plays into the incredible coach that he became. But I feel, you know, if you are a basketball player, my sister played college ball and high school ball, very competitive player, or being around college sports was incredible. Or if you're around professional sports, you're going to love this book. But more importantly, if you have nothing to do with sports, it's equally, if not more, so inspiring. Yep. What are your thoughts, Toby? I think that for me as a parent, which has really been the principal career that I've had, it really resonated with me on that side. He gives an amazing story about actually Michael Jordan when he first becomes the head coach. He knows that he has this superstar. And he calls him into meeting very, very risky what he's going to say to him, which is that we can't win games, even though you're great. We can't win games unless you include the other players, because really there's no I in team. And of course, Jordan, which I didn't know, and it really fascinated me, was like, whatever you said, you're the boss, which was like, imagine if Jordan was like, no, 
I'll do what I do because I'm great. But so it took two great people together to see that there was a path forward. And then I think about parenting and I think about how it talks about the fact that like at timeouts, how he really didn't go through like, you know, pass it to this person and, you know, you're not sharing the ball or whatever the the strategy would be during those timeouts. He didn't do that. And And the reason why I bring up parenting is if you spend your time raising your kids in a certain way, when they're adults, there's just like that moment that you did everything you, they have the tools. And that's how he believed, like we practice hard. They know what they're doing. I don't need to now put a bunch of information in their brains during a game. I trust them. So he built like trust. And that that's like being a parent, right? Like your kids know that you trust them. You've given them all these tools. And also, if you have more than one kid, I mean, you guys got me way beat. But even with my two slash three children, um, I think that they they know that they have to have each other's back and that neither one, there's no pecking order when you're an adult. So I think that people that don't have necessarily a basketball background get so much out of this. Oh, yeah. And as a Michael Jordan fan as well, and for those of us who had the the pleasure and joy of growing up with Michael, like being in that moment at the rise of his career as well, there was nothing like it. I mean, he was just a phenomenal gift from heaven. <laughs> I don't know. It's just it. And his his attitude and his demeanor. And so uh, I agree with you. I, it takes two great people. And we hear so much about Michael as a player, but we don't necessarily see it from the coachable side. And we do hear that he was coachable. Like that was something that he had a great reputation for which led to his greatness. But he was already a celebrity player at that point. And he was the star player. And it did take the desire to put ego aside to say, I'm going to allow for everyone and anyone who wants to shine on and step on, on this team to do that. And I'm not going to show up on the court as the quote unquote celebrity player. I'm going to show up as that team player and amplify everyone else's strengths on the team. So it took a lot, I feel, not necessarily courage, but to, as it says in the in the publisher's summary, to step away from ego, both Phil and Michael, and say, okay, human to human, we want to win, <laughs> okay? And if you're the only star on the court, that's not going to lead to a consistent winning record or a title, consistent title. So this is what we need to do. And both of them seeing that bigger picture and allowing this to happen. So I love that you brought that up in terms of the two, taking two great minds to make this work. Barbara, you want to jump in? I can jump in for one more second. I think the other thing that was really interesting that he talks about is the fact that, you know, there's a lot of people that feel like if they don't do exactly how they were raised, he talks a little bit about religion in there, a lot of bit about it. They feel like they're betraying their childhood. And he really explains how he became, he came full circle in his upbringing and then moving away from a very, very religious background and coming full circle back to religion, but in his own terms. And that he wasn't betraying his family per se. It was more like what he had to do for himself. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I didn't know what to expect going into this book and the reveal around Zen as a method or a philosophy 
in life was really interesting too. I love learning about new things and how he was introduced to that through his his brother. And I think that's interesting that he had to also come to terms with his own belief system and his own internal philosophy. And once he settled in on that and was able to bring the best of what he believed together for him, he was able to pass that on, including the teachings of the Native American you know, uh, tribe that he brought in and that story and that history. And again, to bring these elements in that you don't normally come across in your day-to-day, I felt was great for me because now I'm learning about this whole this whole new aspect of history and, and culture. And then, and then again, the, the Zen philosophy I thought was fascinating as well. Absolutely. It was just like for him to come from such a devoted Christian background with his father being a pastor and, and not just any pastor, he was very well known, very well respected and had such a great love of his faith. So he grew up in that. And then with his brother being a psychology major, if I remember correctly, his brother is going to learn different teachings of the mind. And so his brother was able to help him when he hurt himself, you know, when he played for the Knicks and he had a horrible injury. So his brother was able to help aid him in mentally processing his injury and helping him work through it work through different ways of healing, just not just physically, but mentally. But that also helped him on on the court when he talked about, I can no longer just use my talent. Now I'm going to have to work smarter, not harder. And it helped him think about basketball in a different way as well. I also think that that actually set the foundation for him as a coach, to coach better. Even with the Zen, you know, he talked about, and I want to say this, but when he first talks about Zen, I mean, I, I want to say, um, if I could just quote a little bit in the book, he said that a Zen appealed to him because it it emphasized in clearing the mind. As the Buddha put it in, in his book, everything is based on mind, is led by mind, is fashioned by mind. If you speak and act with a polluted mind, suffering will follow you as the wheels of an ox cart follow the footsteps of an ox. So everything that he thought about Everything that he preached always led to like inner peace, always led to, I don't want to say mind control because that sounds kind of crazy, but it was all about mental awareness, not of just self, but mental awareness of those around you and reacting to that. It brings me to a story that he told about how the Bulls just couldn't get past the Detroit Pistons. The Detroit Pistons were a very physical team. They like to take you out of your body. They like to do things to make you angry. And what happens when you're angry? You don't think straight. You just want to kill. And there, unfortunately, was a game that they played and they got knocked out of the, uh, I think it was the semifinals. The Detroit Pistons, they were saying things like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to, oh, I'm going to break your nose. And in fact, I think one of the players ended up getting, had a broken nose. And it just, Jordan was out had history with them to the point where if you guys hear about Jordan and Isaiah Thomas's relationship, there was a rumor that Isaiah Thomas couldn't be part of the Olympic of the dream team because of Jordan. But that's a whole nother story. But that just kind of goes to show how deep their animos- their mutual animosity was. 
But Phil was like, okay, we can't do this anymore. We are going to have to play a different game and they're going, we're going to have to force them to play that game with us. So Phil worked with them and I don't want to say taught them, but guided them into playing a game of more mental basketball where they weren't going to let those antics get to them. The following year, when they played them, they destroyed them to the point where some of the players left before the game was even over. And correct me if I'm wrong, but they ended up going to the Lakers and beating them in five games. It was a wrap. Once they learned how to mind over batter, once they learned how to be mentally strong in those type of situations, Phil Jackson won six championships. Three when before Michael Jordan left. And then when Michael Jordan came back out of retirement, he won three more. So that just goes to show how the teachings that Phil Jackson, how the teaching that inspired him led him to be such a great coach. 100%. And I I have to read this quote because, and those were excellent details that you pulled in from the story. So thanks for that. So this is a quote. I didn't dictate to him what I wanted. I simply pushed him to think about the problem in a different way mostly by asking him questions about the impact that this or that strategy might have on the team. How do you think Scottie Pippen or Horace Grant would feel if you did this, I would say. I treated him like a partner, and slowly he began to shift his way of thinking. When I let him solve the problem himself, he was more likely to buy into the solution and not repeat the same counterproductive behavior in the future. And that was Jackson's approach of getting the special Michael Jordan on board with his strategy. And again, he was such an incredible leader. And we go back to ego and shedding that ego and seeing Michael as, and treating him as a partner, as opposed to, I'm the new coach and this is my way and this is how you have to do it and blah, blah, blah. He said, no, we all are after the same thing. We all want the same thing, right? And when you take it out of the box of basketball and you put it into real life and you see an individual If you're a leader and you see your team, your coworkers, your colleagues as equal partners and you treat them with that, you only get that back tenfold. And I feel that a lot of times in leadership, there's ego that comes with that and gets in the way. And then people move and lead through fear, as you were saying, Barbara, with the aggression and the the violence on the court. And they were using fear to intimidate. They were using fear to win. And what Phil Jackson did was he found a way to consistently create a behavior pattern that showed up all the time to be able to win those games. And it was, as you mentioned, by Remind Over Matter. What are your thoughts, Toby? I mean, I think about it as life lessons. I'm just thinking about it, like even with petty arguments, right? And I mean, I argue with people. I try not to, but like, or specifically with your husband, right? Or, or your wife or your partner. The more aggressive somebody is, including myself, if someone's coming after me aggressive, I'm going to rise up and be aggressive. And then they're aggressive. And it's it's like the polka dance, but you never get out of the polka dance because you're just bouncing off of one another. So it's the lesson there to me is like, if you note, if you can slow yourself down enough to notice what am I doing here? This is definitely not going to, I don't, when I'm mad, obviously I want the other person to succumb and give in and be like, wow, sorry, or whatever. But Maybe that's not the right way to do it. Just take a step back and go like, well, what do I need to do here is just hear the other person and be less aggressive. And that's what he said. He said, we need to create 
a calmness that it's almost eerie, like, whoa, what are they doing? And if you're a strong team and your team players in the truest sense, like absolute form, most of the time that's going to freak the other side out. And I mean, you guys are know more about basketball than me, but he created that whole triangle offense. And his whole point was that you've got an aggressive team coming towards you. It's all aggressive. They're all over the place. And then he had, I think he said he had like two open passes, Barbara, you might be able to explain it. And he applied that same like calmness to even the triangle offense, which is so cool. He's, he's the one that invented that. I just don't even know. Well, you know what it is? They, in the book, he calls the triangle offense, the five man Tai Chi. I love that because it was something that I did play basketball and, that, and we actually tried to implement that when I was in school. And it's such an amazing, it's so amazing. Like one of the things he said is the flow of movement is what he, in order, this is how he described it. The flow of movement in order to create an open player, it's outstanding. The actually it was Tex Winter. I think it was his, was his assistant coach who was, who innovated it. And then he just went ahead, Phil, excuse me, Phil went ahead. I'm thinking about Patrick Ewing, but it's another story. <laughs> uh, Phil Jackson went ahead and he just took it to a whole nother level. So what the triangle offense is, is you have two players on top usually. And I'm going to just say the point, the, not the point guard, but the shooting guard. And you'll have like the center. And they'll be the ones that'll pass the ball inside. And so you'll have three players, which are going to be the two power forwards and the point guard that are going to be passing the ball. And as they pass the ball, they move. So they pass the ball, they move. Sometimes they'll throw it out to the to the point guard or to the shooting guard. The shooting guard will pass it back in. But the whole time, they're moving the ball. The whole time they're moving the ball. And the point of this triangle offense is that everyone is empowered. Everyone has an opportunity to create a play. Everyone can be that champion, can be that closer. Michael Jordan, initially, there was a little, even though he said it, he, there was a little pushback at one point when Michael Jordan was like, oh, if I pass it to this person, he's not going to do this or he's not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And Phil told him, trust the process. Mm -hmm. that's and that's what Michael did. And Michael was able to depend on his team just, and his team was able to participate instead of being spectators. Because, you know, another thing he said in the book was Michael Jordan was almost as popular as Jesus at one point. So not only were people watching him, but the players were watching him while they were on the court while playing with him. And the triangle offense took that away. Like you had to participate in order to win. This book was written in 95. Phil Jackson actually started coaching the Lakers, I think in 2000. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Kobe Bryant. I say that sarcastically, but Kobe Bryant was known for being a very selfish player. He had to ha have the ball in his hands 39 minutes out of the 40 minutes he was on the court. When Phil Jackson, and really they, great team, Shaquille O'Neal was on the team as well. They had some really great players, but they just couldn't get there. They just couldn't get to the championships. Phil Jackson came in. He brought in the triangle offense. He brought in, there was something that he, talk, he talked about. He said, we had to plug in. He talks about the, this is the Chicago Bulls, but this also applies to the Lakers. We had to plug into the power of oneness instead of the power of one man and transcended the divisive forces of the ego that had crippled far more gifted teams. 
the Lakers were that team until Phil Jackson came in. So even though he and Kobe Bryant kind of struggled with, because Kobe really did struggle with that, with being a team player, Kobe, he really elevated Kobe's game to a whole nother level when Kobe became that team player, when Kobe started to pass. You started to see these outrageously amazing Magic Johnson passes. And Magic Johnson was also a former Laker. But yes, Phil Jackson just knew how to take those teams. You know, everybody says, well, anybody can win with Jordan. They didn't win with Jordan until Phil Jackson came in. Phil Jackson knew how to take a team and use their all of their gifts to make that team even better than it was. So yeah, I just love this book, guys. <laughs> I agree. And I think some of the things that jump out in terms of themes that we see over and over again is being in the present moment. And we covered a book prior called The Power of Now. <laughs> And the strength and the wisdom that can come from that moment. And another piece is the ego, you know, letting go of the ego, stepping outside of yourself and not taking things personal, seeing things for that greater good. The Alchemist, I believe, was the first book that we launched our podcast with. And there are so many stories that's just parable after parable that's shared in that book, which allows you to really transform into the greatest version of yourself. And then the me instead of the we, you know, you were just sharing how Kobe and Michael being superstars had to really fall into the we. I want to read a quote that touches on all those three things in a scenario that happened during one of the games in a very important game. And this was having to do with uh, Phil, I mean, Scotty Pippen. So a graphic representation of the need to delineate players being on board or not, or not arose when Pippen infamously balked at Jackson, drawing up a last second shot for Tony Kukuk in the Bulls 1994 Jordan-less playoffs. Jackson simply asked Pippen, are you in or you're out? Pippen answered, I'm out. So Jackson subbed in Pete Myers to inbound to Kukuk who won the game. In the post-game locker room, Jackson had Bill Cartwright address Pippen through tears, expressing the team's profound disappointment, a far greater moral message to Pippen than any sort of discipline the coach could have administered. And Phil Jackson says, in the heat of the game, I simply tried to stay in the moment and make decisions based on what was actually happening. Rather than asserting my ego and inflaming the situation further, I did what was needed to be done, find someone to throw in the ball and go for the win. Afterward, rather than trying to fix things myself, I let the players solve the problem. And so again, he had to let go of his ego. He had to stay in the moment and he had to turn to the we. Instead of him coming in and pointing and wagging the finger, shaking the finger, he told his team to deal with it in the way where the team felt would be the most impactful. Yeah, I actually remember because we all are Metro parents. That happening, there was some catty stuff going on with the team when Charlie was, I won't mention the the girls' names, but there was something going on and he put them all in a room. And that was pretty bold. And I'm not necessarily advocating it because sometimes you do need to have the coach involved as a mediator because they are children, but it worked. It did work because after that, they, I guess what happens when there's aggression is people really aren't even talking. And if the, if the coach handles it completely, 
right? With the player, it doesn't fix it because it, the players were impacted too. Everyone was impacted. Mm-hmm. So I think that it was really impactful that he allowed them to communicate because he already made his peace with him. You're not playing, you're out. But, you know, I think that it's interesting that Phil Jackson did that consistently, even with timeouts, when he would just let them sit there and ruminate. And the the reality is, no matter how great you are, if you're not in the moment, nobody cares when you're playing the game at the time. Mm. You know, I always marvel at that. Like, for example, Mm -hmm. you could have a team that has the best record. I don't want to pick which fan, your Mets fan, your Yankees, your Braves, right? They have the best record, but they don't win the final game because it doesn't matter that you have the best record. The moment that you play is all that matters. So you could be the best player, but if you're not in the moment, you can't just walk around and say, I'm the best player. It's every day is a new day. And I think that's what he tried to instill in them is yesterday doesn't matter. We have to take today and and do our best. So I, I just think that's such a good idea. When power now is absolutely, there's nothing to be gained from yesterday. Yes, I love it. And then even like when he talks about the Lakota suite and how he applies their beliefs into his coaching style, like he talks about how their concept of teamwork was deeply rooted in their own view of the universe. Like even like the best warrior didn't stand out among his fellow band members. He was very honorable. He was very brave. And even when he was with them, he did everything to help as a group whenever he could to accomplish his mission. And he talks about like that helped them achieve peace and it helped them achieve oneness with the universe and all its powers because they realized that they were not the center of the universe. The center of the universe dwells a great spirit and it was them, it was their, I can't believe the word is escaping me. It's, it was their togetherness, their teamwork, their mindfulness of each other that was able to get them to be one with that spirit as well. So hope that makes sense. It does. And I love how you brought up that part of the story. And I think, again, when we're looking at how do we translate this incredible journey of Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and so many others and their championship wins and going through the ups and downs with them to our lives. And as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, I was so inspired as a parent, (laughs) Toby. So I was like, I called my daughter. I text my sons. I was like, you have to read this book. You have to read this book. Because especially if you're an athlete and the mindset that he was able to create that Zen mindset and how you can really overcome anything and how you can consistently do that. You can consistently succeed with the right mindset. I want to read another quote from Jackson. And I encourage everyone that's listening to the podcast. If you have not gotten the book, please, you will not be disappointed. Get the book, do the audio, do the physical copy, whatever works for you. But again, we bring you books that will change your life. This is a life-changing book. You're going to take away so many nuggets that you can apply the moment you put that book down. So here's another quote from Phil. The key to sustain success is to keep growing as a team. Winning is about moving into the unknown and creating something new. Remember that scene in the first Indiana Jones movie when someone asked Indy, what is he going to do next? And he replies, I don't know. I'm making it up as we go along. That's how I view leadership. 
It's an act of controlled improvisation, a Thelonious monk finger exercise from one moment to the next. So I'd like to just for a moment talk about how that applies to real life, right? When we say success, I'm going to put that in quotes. It mentions growth and mentions success. How would we apply that quote to real life? Hmm. Well, I think owning Mignolo Arts Center, it's interesting because we own it as a family team dynamic, which has its ups and downs and challenges. And I think that every day we keep trying to have conversations on what direction we want to go in. And we actually just completed our first collaboration between a musician, visual artist, an actor, and a dancer. And the show is this weekend. And it was just, how do we get four people from different genres to feel equal and empowered? And I think that if you look at, there's so many seminars with leadership, right? Books and everything. How do we CEOs and CFOs hiring companies to come in to figure out how do I motivate our people to work harder? Well, I think this book is a great example of showing that when people know they have skin in the game, that their opinion matters, that what they do is going to make a difference. And whether that's a family dynamic, a company that you own as a family, or just a big organization, it comes down to the small pieces. You ever notice that people burn out when they don't have a say? It's not about necessarily what they're doing. It's about feeling important. And I think Phil Jackson made the point that you're important, Michael, but so is everybody else. And when he gave that power to them and they bought in, they were successful. And you can apply that to everything. Yeah, that's a great point, Toby, that you made as it relates to leadership and empowering each person on the team, especially to avoid burnout. I never thought about it like that. And I think that's a really fresh take and important take on burnout. And if you don't feel like you have a voice and are contributing and because no matter what job we have, we're going to be doing something. And if we're not empowered, if we feel that we're not making an impact, how long are we going to really want to do that thing, whatever that thing is? And when I think of his quote and how it applies to life as relates to success and growing and winning and moving forward. I think of winning. Well, what is winning, right? We're talking about a basketball team and championships, but in terms of life, winning to me is being happy, just being happy. If you wake up and you're joyful in the morning and you go to bed and you're joyful at night, that's winning life, no matter what it is you're doing or where you are, what your job title is. And being in that moment being in the present moment, looking at everyone around you as being of that one collective, that one group. And what I do impacts the group and what the group does impacts me positively or negatively. So how can I show up positively to move the group forward and to help them move me forward? So those are some things that jumped out at me as, as he was sharing about success. I have to say this. I had to jump in because it just reminded me of one of the things we talked about. And it's definitely the power of now. But remember, he it's I wouldn't say he hated the parties after the win. But remember, he talked Mm -hmm. about how he would like be kind of like lost and not even really celebrating because it was always the journey he enjoyed and the Mm -hmm. love of it. And I've been at championships and, and I've seen my daughters win things that it was magical at the moment. But at the end of the day, Literally the next day, it's just a story and it's history. Mm. And then you move on. And so he really 
it's interesting. And I think if we all could enjoy the journey as much, at least as the win, I'm not saying that he shouldn't have enjoyed those wins a little bit more, but isn't it interesting that where he felt the happiest was just all the the steps along the way, then you win. And then, then it's kind of almost sad because then what are we going to do? We're going to rebuild. And so if you're focusing on the moment and the next day, yes, you are championships and it is quite an accomplishment, but I thought it was very interesting that he really, his joy was really in the daily grind. And when you talk about having a say and making people feel empowered, he did have that for himself. He created that, which we, we have to create that for ourselves. And if we're in a situation that isn't doing that for us, instead of sitting in that situation, then maybe it's meant to be a change. And whether it's someone cleaning a bathroom at Disney World, or if it's someone working at a grocery store, or if it's someone that's running a company, there's plenty of CEOs that are miserable because they're never feeling empowered. The CEO has an owner they're responding to. So I think no matter what your position is, or a child, like a child should still feel empowered, even though they're the child. And a lot of people look at children like, well, you're the child. But if you give children a say and that they know that their opinion is valued, I think it doesn't matter where you are in the pecking order. As soon as you make someone feel empowered and cared for and that what they have to give means something, they grow, they prosper, they mm. They expand. And that's why his team, I think, had so much say. Even in his offense, each player had a platform and he was going to listen to them. And that's why I think the team was so successful. And you know what else, too? He, it's the power of now. And even in his writing, it's like each team, each player, each player of, of the team had their job to do in the moment, living in the moment. Toby, you mentioned the journey. It's about the journey. He really lived in the moment. He really, each second, each minute, each hour that he was on that court, he was in there fully and wholly, mentally and physically. And it reminds me of his sister-in-law. She came up to him and she said, you were meant to coach. She said something else. She said something along the lines of, I, I quote, because I realized, she said, I started crying because I realized this is exactly what you were meant to do. You were so comfortable out there. It just seems so right. For him, again, he took his belief system. This is the power of now. I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to work on this. I'm not thinking about the winning or the losing. Because he also said something that I thought was really great. He said something along the lines of, it's not about, like, he stopped thinking about losing. And that was when he really started to win. So if he never, he didn't focus on that anymore. He focused on, on the work, on the journey. And he made it that each player, that piece of the puzzle of what they did on that court was very important. And they had to take that, the minute that ball was in their hand, the minute they had to defend someone, that was just as important as a Michael Jordan, as a Scottie Pippen, as a Tony Kukoc, as a Grant, as a Horace Grant. All of them mattered. And all of their positions mattered. And like you said, in life, Nova, Everything we do matters, everything we do. And we should, with our children, let them know that whatever they contribute matters. Our employees, even our bosses, I think sometimes they need somebody to go, you know what, boss, you're doing a good job. Or you know what, manager, you're doing a great job. Because I don't think they hear that from their boss sometimes, you know, when they got to bring out their reports. But yeah, it's, it's living in the moment, the power of now, 
and everything that you do is just as important as everyone else's. I think that's a great message. 100%. And I know we're getting close to time and I, I just want to you know, go back to a statement that I think is super important as a takeaway. Winning is about moving into the unknown and creating something new. And so we have this story of Phil and all these wonderful players, but it's more than a championship. We just heard Toby and, and Barbara share that it's the journey. And as, as the listeners of our podcast, we want you to know it's about the journey of life. There's always going to be the next goal, the next championship, the next role, whatever it is, but it is that moment by moment living, but also stepping into the unknown and creating something new. So what are we doing each day that's a little different from the day before? That's something that's unexpected. What is it new that we are creating? Because again, winning life is about growth. It's about growing. It's about learning. It's about joy in the moment. And when you are doing something new and you're challenging yourself and you're learning that new thing, if it's painting, if it's running, if it's basketball, if it's learning how to teach for the first time or coach for the first time, that's internal growth. That's self-growth. That makes you feel good. That's a way of pouring back into yourself and expanding as a human being. And our podcasts are about transformation. The books we read, some are fiction, some are nonfiction, some are biographies, there's sci-fi, there's historical fiction. They're across genres, but at the end of the day, the stories that come out of each and every book, if you are paying attention, it's an opportunity for growth. And again, I can't say this enough, Sacred Hoops by Phil Jackson was, is so inspirational on so many levels. If you're a parent, if you are a leader in your organization, if you are a coach, if you're an athlete, if you're a team member, you know, we all are, are playing one of these roles in life, right? If you're, if you're a human. part of the family, right? You're either the parent or you're the child in the family, right? You're on the team where you're leading the team. So again, there's so much that we can take away from this. And any closing words, Toby and Barbara? Enjoy the day. Live in the moment. Yes, I love that. Learn something new. Step into the unknown, be present, be in the moment. All amazing, amazing, amazing takeaways. So this is another episode of Tuesday's Book Club, where we bring you transformational books that will change your life. If you haven't already, please subscribe. You do not want to miss any new episodes as we are sharing new books every, every single show. And it is always a joy to bring these stories to you. Please tell a friend, pass the podcast on to someone that you feel will get value, that will grow from these stories. We have actually, Barbara, myself, and Toby, we joke around that we're so grateful for all the books that we're sharing and bringing to each other. Not even like forget the podcast, but to each other. Yes, for sure. For <laughs> sure. It is a journey of growth. Like I feel every book has always come at the perfect time. So um, I thank you ladies for also for just sharing these incredible books for me to learn and grow, but then also allowing us to bring it forward to our listeners. Absolutely. Definitely. And that's a wrap, guys. I'm Nova Lorraine. Toby. And Barbara. And this is Tuesday's Book Club brought to you exclusively by Pink Kangaroo, the podcast network. Until next time. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. Bye.